0: So Layla Duke is on staff with Focus at UTD. Yes, should know that. What? Oh, whooshes! A lot of school pride here. Um, So when I was planning this series, the first person that came to my mind that I wanted to preach was Layla Duke. I don't think she knows that. And it was for this talk in particular. If you know Layla Duke, she is somebody that understands joy. We, we talk a lot up here, you know, we're a pretty informal church, we're not very polished when it comes to speaking, I mean, you guys let me speak, so uh, scary, uh, but, you know, we, uh, we very much value people that live the sermons that they do preach, and Layla, very simply put, is somebody that lives this sermon well. Which is why I think it's such a treat and such a blessing that she gets to speak to us today in general, but especially on this topic. So I would pray that you would really open your heart, open your mind, and see what the God um, of everything that has been made, you know, wants to say to you today. Pray with me. God, we love you so much. We thank you for Layla. We thank you for this community. We thank you for this building. We thank you for being here with us today. And I just pray that you speak powerfully. We love you. Amen. Amen.
1: Thanks, you. Hey, guys. Yeah. Okay, let me know. Can y'all hear me fine? You sure? Okay, yeah, there we go. Okay, so... Like you said, I'm Layla. Uh, a little bit about my background. I'm originally from San Francisco, California. West side, throw it up. Y'all in there? Okay. <laughs> I'm originally from San Francisco, California, and I grew up there, and then I went to college in Washington, D.C. at Howard University. You. where I, You know, okay, that's right. Um, and I studied uh, dance there for four years, got my BFA in dance. The only reason I moved to to Texas was because I got a job with the dance company called Dallas Black Dance Theater. Otherwise, I had no plans or hopes or desires or dreams to move to Texas. Absolutely not. Um, but God really, like as I stand here before you, I see now he had a plan that had nothing to do with me from my conception in my mother's womb, and I'm really, really grateful to be here and be a part of this family of churches. It really is just so glorious. So glorious. Um... But yes, I studied dance, or sorry, went to dance at Dallas Black in downtown Dallas. And in my time there, I spent six years there. Along the way, Renee Walters, who some of you guys know, all of you guys, I don't know, whatever. (laughs) Renee, her and I studied FOJ together. And very long story short, I'm sure some of you have heard it before. But if not, I can tell you more about it afterwards. But long story short, my life was in a very rocky place. Um, And in my own type of rock bottom and Renee Walters was just this Jesus person who I was not interested in being close to. But our relationship that had started to bud had came and helped me right in the time that I needed help the most. And it was by God's design (laughs) for sure that I would become close friends with a white girl who loved Jesus. Um, (laughs) And so I studied FOJ with her and eventually I felt like God called me to do the apprenticeship And now I've been working with Focus. I'm in my third year. So glory to God for all of his goodness. He's so good. So, so good. So like Kel said, he asked me to preach the sermon. And when he originally asked me, I was filled with the feeling of no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I do not want to preach. I don't want to do that. And so I was so happy to inform him that the original date he asked me, which was last Sunday, December 9th, I was like, oh my God, I'm out of town. I can't. So sorry. And then he goes, well, how about the 17th? And I was like, on the other side of the phone, like, oh. And I was like, okay. Okay. So here we are. Um, And then when he told me that the subject matter was on joy, I still didn't want to preach, and I was just like, you know, I don't think that's going to be good, but um, I was uh, very honored to hear that I was the first person that came to his mind um, when he thought of joy, and I know that that's only because of the work of the Spirit in my life. It has nothing to do with me. Before we jump in, I would like to state the disclaimer that in the focus of talking about joy today, that my goal here is not to belittle or minimize anyone's hardship. I know some of the stories of several people in this room, and my heart is broken for many of the things that I know are going on in some of y'all's lives. For the people today who just aren't all the way there, or who are navigating a more weighted season of life, it would be my prayer that as we go through the journey of this sermon, that you would find life and peace from something that I share. Psalms 34 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you for bringing us here today, and we just ask that you would comfort all who are in need. So first of all, let me tell y'all how Tori already preached my whole sermon, so just know that. Um, The working definition of joy that I would like to go with is from my bestie, Tim Mackey from The Bible Project. (laughs) He says, joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. I'll say that again for you. Joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. Therefore, this means that we as Christians have an ever open invitation to adopt the attitude of joy in every circumstance because of the hope we find in Christ. Not because of other things that make us excited, but because of the hope that we find in Christ. Is my earring making? The... No, it's not. It's my hair. Excuse me. This, <laughs> yeah. I I always got, I don't know why, I won't give the earrings up. I just won't, okay? And I won't give the hair up. So I'd rather do this instead. Anyway. <laughs> In Christ, we hope for God to bring to completion all that he started in creating this world. I think it's safe to assume that we all have some level of wonder about what God is doing underneath the surface. If you're anything like me, you spend a lot of time trying to make sense of both the beauty and the pain in this world and in your own life. We ask questions like, what's the reason why I was created? What's my purpose? Why did God make me like this? Why did he make others like that? Why am I at this school? Why do I work this job? Why is my family like that? Why did those people choose to become my friends? Why did those people stop being my friend? And more weightedly, why do I still get to live while others die? Why was I abused? Why is my struggle the one that it is? Why do I have to be sick? Why am I single? Why did I get broken up with? Should I be married to this person? Why am I divorced? Why don't people just think like me? Why do they get that and I don't? I could go on with many more questions that churn beneath the surface of our existence as we wait on Jesus to return. We all have a deep longing to know what in the world is God up to? We all We all want to know. Sadly, the bad news is that I don't know the answers to those questions, nor do I know in great detail all that God is doing in your life or my life. But the good news is this. The same way that all those questions and thoughts can take up space in our minds is the same way that joyful thoughts and questions can take up space in our minds. So this brings me to my first point. Joy is found in our imaginations. When you wish... I'm joking. <laughs> I know I got some Disney fans over here inside this church, so I hope that this point resonates with you guys. I was, so let me tell you how my original... Like, my original point, I was going to be like, I'm going to have the most theological, analytical, UTD sermon. And then... <laughs> And then I talked to Ronnie, and he was like, you know, we need a little bit more or less of the analytical thing, and we need joy. <laughs> and I was like, dang. So as I'm writing, I'm writing. Like, the, this point is not from me. It's from the spirit, because it is not what I would have thought would resonate with you guys. But as I thought about it more, I said, oh, au contraire. These people do need to use their imaginations, because I know we got engineers and science." science, math scientists, and I don't even know, (laughs) like all of these people who just think so much. Um, So um, though I was skeptical about this point, as I fleshed it out more, I really do think that it was a gift to you guys from the spirit to encourage you and enliven you this Christmas season. So if you think about it, A large part of our faith is our ability to imagine things simply because of the fact that we're 2,000 years removed from the time and place of Scripture and because of the fact that many things that we believe in as Christians we don't even see. So please don't hear me again using the word imagination in the sense of fictitiousness or fantasy, but I use that word in uh, the sense of your mind. Um. I think that God is inviting us to tap into our childlike faith. After all, Jesus does say in Matthew 18, 3, that unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I'm not taking that out of context. He just says that. So I think that that's something we ought to pay attention to. He goes on to say, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. How many sermons have you heard preached on childlike faith? Honestly, I haven't heard any. I could be wrong about this, but I think that on the part where where Jesus is saying, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, I think he's actually also saying, whoever welcomes one such child within themselves in my name welcomes me. I think that's something that he wants us to pay attention to. When I think about it, kids and dogs have so much joy all the time <laughs> <laughs> because they regularly have their minds on things that fill them with excitement. But as we grow older and as life gets harder, we just forget to think about the things that make us feel excited. And it's understandable because life is hard. Philippians 4.8 tells us to think about whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, but we just don't. We don't think about those things. I believe that what Paul is talking about in Philippians 4, eight is also very much parallel to what he talks about in Corinthians oh, 2 Corinthians 10.5, where he tells us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Thinking about things that are pure, true, noble, and so on is a direct way to taking our thoughts captive. Jesus cares about what we do with our minds just as much as he cares about what we do with our hands. And because our minds are predominantly, or excuse me, because our minds are proportionately a lot more active than our hands on a given day, this makes our minds a very great enterprise that needs continuous tending to. Because our thought life, directly influences the outlook that we have on our life circumstances, it would seem to me that joy finds its sustainability in our imaginations. And what grace it is that God invites us into joy by engaging our imaginations. Okay, so this next part, it might make you analytical and ADHDers a little fidgety, but we're gonna do an imagining exercise. Um, So a couple of things to note. Can I have the first slide? So I want you guys to take in these images, uh, obviously generated by AI. (laughs) We love AI. Um, But I these these images are made with descriptors from the passage of scripture that I'm going to read to you all. And I put these images up there because I even have a hard time using my imagination because life is just so full. We got so much noise and media and all these things. It's hard to imagine things other than what's already clamoring for our attention. So these images are from the passage that I'm going to read you. Um, A couple other things to note. Uh, The passage is a little bit longer, so try to stick with it. It's only four minutes, so don't despair. (laughs) Um, And I'm going to read the full chapter of it just so your imagination has a chance to engage. But when I finish reading it, I'm only going to focus on some parts from the beginning portion of the passage. When I tell you to go, you're going to close your eyes. But not yet. (laughs) Before you do, I want you guys to give yourself the permission to not do science and not do math and not do critical thinking and just let your childlike imagination engage and ask the Spirit to help you let go and imagine new things. Okay, close your eyes and don't cheat. Go ahead and take a second and ask the Spirit. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had passed away and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying,
0: look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. He who was
1: seated on the throne said,
0: I am making everything new. Write this
1: down for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the East, three on the North, three on the South and three on the West. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, or 1,400 miles, and as wide and as high as it was long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits, or 216 feet thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass, the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was Jasper. The second Sapphire, the third Agate, the fourth Emerald, the fifth Onyx, the sixth Ruby, the seventh chrysolite. the eighth Beryl, the ninth Topaz, the 10th Turquoise, the 11th Jacinth and the 12th Amethyst. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you can, I'd ask you to keep your eyes closed, but if you're over it, you can open. But I want you guys to take in and try to see and feel the stunning and jaw-dropping nature of what it would be like to experience a reality like this. A new earth with no sea. (laughs) What does that look like? God himself living with us. And he is our light. No sun, no moon, his home finally among us. Him wiping every tear from our eyes. And there's no more death. There's no more sorrow or crying or pain. Just pause and think about how many hard things you've cried over in your life. And for my people who aren't much criers, think about how much pain and sorrow you've been through, how you've both wronged others and been wronged by others. Think about the broken relationships we have in our world. And for my people who have lost dear loved ones are on the brink of losing dear loved ones. Think about a world with no more death. Is the scenario of revelation 21, a scenario that you picture often? And if not, why not? Is it because of forgetfulness, disbelief, loss of hope? What would it take for the hope of this passage to always be dancing in your imagination. If your eyes are closed, you can open them. God is working around the clock in many seen and unseen ways to make all things new, which means that things won't be sad forever. Things won't be sad forever, y'all. But you have to believe that. And if you don't believe that, today would be a great day to become a Christian. God is doing something more than we can ask, think, or imagine. And by his grace, he has given us minds to imagine it. So may the things we imagine make us hopeful. There's so much joy to be found in our imaginations. Some questions for you to ponder. Does your imagination lead you to rejoicing? Or does your imagination lead you to despairing? Do you relate to God as a child that he can care for and inspire, or do you relate to God as an adult who's too important to be playful? My next point is that joy is found not only in our imaginations, but also in our reality. The reality about reality is that it can tend to feel much less fanciful and amazing than Revelation 21. But because of the robust hope of Jesus, pretty much every passage we find in the New Testament about hardship doesn't just end at hardship. John 16, Jesus doesn't say, in this world, you will have trouble. Catch you on the flip. <laughs> No, he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And in James 1, 2 through 4, he doesn't say, consider it pure crap, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith is only going to make you give up. You should quit while you're ahead. (laughs) No, he says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When we are submitted to Christ's lordship, we have everything to gain from our hardship. And this is what I think it means when David in Psalm 23 says that he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies and that our cups runneth over and our heads are anointed with oil and will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a song called rejoice from an artist that I love named victory Boyd. And she has a line in it that says, even our greatest fears are not worthy to be feared in the presence of Jesus Christ. Even our saddest tears are not worthy to be compared to the glory of eternal life. Rejoice. The only way a statement like that could be true is if Jesus were real and thank goodness he is God's presence is Jesus God's presence in Jesus is reality because he is Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 9-6 tells us, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice, y'all from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will make this happen. What a mystery it is that all of this could be said about baby Jesus. When I try to contemplate a reality like this, this is the image that comes to mind. Slide. (laughs) It's coming. (laughs) I feel like in this image, the little boy is me, (laughs) is me saying, okay, so you're telling me that the same God who created everything with just his word and who wreaked all of that havoc on Pharaoh in Egypt and who walked the Israelites through the sea on dry ground and then made water come out of a rock. You're telling me that he's asleep in the barn behind me. (laughs) Get real. (laughs) And the good news is that this is real. In fact, it is as real as real gets. So when I look at my life and your life, even though things are hard and sad, I have no doubt in my mind that God is going to finish what he started in this world. And we get to benefit from that finished work even now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Not as you despair about him, not as you avoid him, but as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the safest person to take a risk on. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Or the message translation makes that sentence go, these hard times are small potatoes compared to the good times that are coming. (laughs) So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Second Corinthians four. Our pain is real, but Jesus is real too. And because of him, we find ourselves having joy within our painful realities. A question for you. Is the reality of Jesus and his promises more real to you than your hardship? Or does your hardship crowd out room for Jesus' joy? My last point, joy is found in our intimacy. John 16, 21 says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Philippians 4:11 through 13. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Hebrews 12:2 Fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him he endured the cross disregarding its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God I would like to argue that the common thread between these three passages where we see joy on the other side of hardship is intimacy While I don't have personal experience with giving birth It would seem to me that the deep love that produces a child and brings it safely to term is because of an intimacy that exists between that father, that mother, and then that child. Imagine carrying a life inside of you for 10 whole months, the number of thoughts and hopes that a mother must have and father. Fathers don't ever get the, you know, credit, but (laughs) that a mother and father must have for her child. That kind of intimacy and love is one that spurs a mom to go the distance through childbirth in general, but especially if she does it more than once. She knows that the road ahead is going to be one of the worst pains in her life, but she has the baby because of the joy of holding that sweet child in her arms and raising it up. For Paul, it makes sense to me that he can find contentment in any circumstance because of his intimacy with Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 6, he literally lists 28 different combinations of hardship that he's endured because of his commitment to God. And then ends it casually by saying, having nothing and yet possessing everything, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I think that the joy and contentment that he was able to have amidst such hardship was because of his intimacy with Jesus. And then for Jesus... It's definitely true that his obedience to the cross was because of his obedience to his father, but it was also because of the anticipation of the joy of intimacy with us that he endured the cross. We are the joy that he let cause him pain and kill him. So I want to ask you, do you have an intimacy with God that empowers you to endure pain to the point of death and still be joyful? Or are you and God roommates with conflicting schedules who never see each other? The holidays are such an easy time to completely miss the hope of Christ because we get so swept up in the speed of trying to make Christmas happen. But there's a gift of joy that God wants to give you that can penetrate both your mind and your reality. And it starts with your intimacy with God. I think that a way we can deepen our intimacy with God is to start by inviting the spirit to show you what areas and in what ways he might want you to grow in your intimacy with him. For some of us, he might want us to read scripture slowly and engage our imaginations and then maybe choose two or three things that we notice and observe and ponder them alongside the spirit and ask the spirit to show us new things about it. For others of us, he might want us to go and be outside in nature and think about why a leaf is the way it is or why a tree has roots that go as deep as they do or wonder, like, how far do these trees' roots actually go? Maybe you can purchase a hammock and go hang and swing in the breeze, the cold. (laughs) For others of us, he might want us to go and be curious about someone, be curious about someone in our lives that we don't get to spend that much time with. It's amazing how much people feel blessed when you take an interest in them. So all that said, it is my prayer that our imaginations of Jesus would bring us joy in even the most painful realities. And I pray that our reality that we find in Jesus would spur us on to curiosity and intimacy with God. Thank you.